Hey everyone, welcome again to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. As always, I am your host, Hewitt Tomlin. And, uh, you know, I had a... Uh, I had an intuition that it was a good time to do a tactical-oriented podcast, and specifically on the military, the DoD. Um, so, anyone who is familiar with that space probably knows about Jason Clark and Nate Palin, uh, two guys who, are, who have been really active in that space, both as service members and then uh, as civilians. Uh, in the uh, strength and conditioning performance space for tactical athletes, or again, as we get into tactical athletes, we kind of break down that definition or break down the stereotype around that uh, term. I also bring in Tofi Zimnicki, who is our in-house sports scientist, to jump on here with me and kind of make it more of a, a group podcast, if you will. So um, here it is. Welcome, everyone, and hope you enjoy. One thing I talk about is how, you know, hybrid training is good on the surface, but it's also very one dimensional because you're just talking about output or two dimensional. You're talking about output, you're talking about capacity. But if you're not bringing those to relevant movements that support tactical tasks, which of course is, is just considerably more multi dimensional than other, you know, sports, even to be honest. Um, then then there's a shortcoming there so at some point you gotta you gotta apply that output in that capacity to different movements um i just think it's something that's often overlooked like you could have a 500 pound deadlift and uh you know i don't know a 530 mile and that's awesome but you also might not be able to tie your shoes or look over your shoulder when you're back in the car out of the driveway mm -hmm. um you know let alone be in get put yourself in good shooting positions and stuff like that so there's there's always a little bit more to, you know we, we we like to simplify and i and i do too but sometimes we gotta we just gotta remember uh some of the things that we might not touch as often are still just as critical we got right into it jason just Casey, get right into <laughs> what's going on jason what's up guys Usually we gotta we gotta ease into these podcasts. We went right into X's and O's. We're just I think we're all bricked up this morning. We're ready to talk about it. Yeah, um, I, I'm recording now. I I uh, this is we're on the podcast, so I, I think people oh, like to hear they like to hear the stuff before and after. You know, they not everyone wants like a polished a polished production, but I think at the very least, and I'll do this in the intro. I'll, I'll you know let everyone know who's on this pod. Uh, I'll start with myself, Hewitt Tomlin, co-founder and CEO of Team Builder. I've got my teammate, Tofi, here. He's our in-house sports science director, uh, formerly director of sports science at Yale. Uh, Nate Palin, COO of the initiative. I was going to take the initiative myself to kind of explain what the initiative is. But Nate, I think you're probably better off doing that than me. Man, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I kind of <laughs> want to let you have a crack at it, and then that'll let me know how good our marketing is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I understand, look, this is a new sort of project in the, in the tactical space. And obviously, you're not here to reinvent the wheel. So I think you guys, uh, it looks like you're, you're here to educate the performance professionals in the tactical space and even provide some training uh, to the tactical space that I am guessing is not the uh, training that's been taking place. Uh, no, you, you know, honestly, you kind of nailed it. Our... our 
sort of internal mo- you know, motto is, is F the dogma. And instead of educating, you know, in particular tactical professionals, as if it's their freshman year of a four-year track, um, where we're kind of going into the weeds of exercise science and things like that, we're sort of skipping straight to reality um, and what they they know BS need to know to be effective on a day to day. You know, I, I think I've we've seen too much of let's teach them a hundred things and they walk away with five. And our thought behind the way that we're crafting our message is how about we teach them ten and they walk away with all ten. Um, and just kind of swallow our ego and realize that the other 90 aren't as important as maybe we think they are. Interesting, man. Um, so the initiative, is this something where I, like, if I was interested, I go to your website, do you have a class, like an online class you do in person stuff? Like what's your primary delivery method for what you guys are teaching? Yeah, both. Uh, we have a remote delivery platform. So we have a full blown uh, certification, you know, it's, it's, 70 something different modules, all web-based, you know, it'd take you about probably 10 to 15 hours to make your way through the whole thing. If you were to do it in a linear fashion, that said, it's purposely built in a way that you can kind of attack it a little bit, take, take from it, what you want, walk away, come back to it, um, use it as a reference, you know, et cetera. Uh, You know, it's packed. It's, it's got 200 plus videos. The way we're delivering stuff is a lot less, uh, you know, formal presentation style. It's a lot more storytelling. Um, you know, the idea being that we can put it in text if we, if we want to give them a reference to come back to, but if we're going to put it in a video, then we want it to be something that's going to stick with them. Um, and so the way, you know, the way we do that is by, uh, just sharing, sharing various stories, either from ourselves or from other people who are living the life, whether that's on the side of being a tactical professional or it's on the side of the health and performance folks who are supporting them. Um, and then we have some smaller bite-sized courses as well. And then we do in-person workshops. Um, we're, we're pretty light on the training front. Um, for us, it's almost just another vehicle to sneak in some educational opportunities for folks who maybe aren't willing to commit to something bigger. Um, but our hope is to kind of lead them toward you know, education, within our, our, you know, delivery of X's and O's, but that's not, that's not our primary bread and butter. It's the education piece that we care about most. Sweet. Uh, Jason, I was having trouble thinking about how to introduce you on this thing. I was like, this guy's got his hand in everything. He knows a lot of folks. I'm like, where, where do I even start with this guy? Yeah, man. Uh, which is good. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I used to be the, um, the slayer of signature lines when I was a DOD employee, right? Like I see all these little nomenclatures behind your name, you know, CSCS, ABCDE, you know, MSC, you know, all these things. And uh, I'm glad that I'm known as Jason. That is good. Um, so yes, introducing me, I would say is like, Hey, I, um, I, I do good things with good people and, um, and hopefully move the needle when it comes to the aspect of health, wellness, and performance specifically, usually within the DOD. Um, but I obviously uh, do not put myself in that box. Uh, this morning, I was having a conversation with a, a young man that graduated from Clemson University, uh, you know, won a national championship with him. He's 23 years old and he's lost. What do I do with myself? Um, mm. But he has this huge mindset of, of moving the needle in, in wellness. Um, so yeah, that, that is who I am, man. I, I like to do business with good people that have good missions that want to do good things. 
Well, that kid knows you now, so that's a good start. <laughs> you know, probably 10x his network right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so this morning, you know, I, I got up like a good businessman and hopped on LinkedIn and uh, I saw a post from Nate uh, talking about, you know, were you getting text messages about potential changes to the ACFT? Was that something that you posted about this morning? Yeah, it's looking like, you know, they're going to create a higher standard for some of the combat arms or the more physically intensive MOSs. And so that's, you know, that circulates pretty quick. I'm sure Jason got a good amount of a text about it too within, you know, within our community. And it's, you know, everyone's, is this good? Is this bad? You know, what is this yeah. kind of thing? And, and I think my answer ultimately sort of bypassed good or bags. I think the good, bad conversation is a very, very long one with a lot of sides to it. Um, that you'd kind of have to Rubik's cube. (laughs) So here's the thing with the ACFT, I guess my question is, is it gets a lot of attention. Um, but it's a test, right? Like it's a, it's a single evaluation, but are there implications about the ACFT that are like bigger than that? Is that why everyone pays so much attention to it? Like, why does it get so much you know, why do people pay attention to it so much? The promotional implications is what created a lot of squeaky wheels, right? Because people who had no problem excelling at an APFT, you know, maybe didn't want to believe the ACFT was coming, didn't want to put in proper preparation and found it easier to spend their time complaining about these these new assessments and a different standard. Um and then, you know, found themselves in a position once it becomes a test of record where they're going to be docked, you know, or, or they're not going to be able to achieve as many promotion points as some of their peers. And so a lot of them were looking, you know, to blame that on, you know, age and gender restrictions thing, or uh, age and gender specific standards and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um. Tofi, you you know about the new ACFT, the one that came out recently, not the one that we're talking about. Yeah, right. Um, I I saw the post. Yeah, I actually saw Nate's uh, post about it. So uh, definitely familiar with it. Yeah. What did you think when the the, the ACFT, as we know it today, like changed or came out? Um, I think, I guess, the reevaluation of standards, but the, the most recent ACFT isn't that, you know, old. It's, you know, how, how many times is this, has the ACFT been, I guess, evaluated enough to, to start changing the standards so early? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe the, the changes are good. Uh, the changes, you know, they might yield some better results. But I think, you know, going off what Nate said, I mean, there's certain things, um, you know, when you're looking at this test, you want to make sure that you're, you're putting people in the position to be able to, A, succeed. But you're, you know, you're offering them the, you know, you're offering up enough challenge to say that like this person's ready, like this person's ready to go. So, um, you know, I don't think anything is um, exclusive of change. But I mean, we'll see, we'll see with uh, time how things kind of roll uh, into fruition and if this is a change for the better. So, um, I'm always, you know, from, from where I come from, I think the evaluation of standards that you set is important on a regular basis. Um, but I think sometimes letting letting things cook for a little bit to, to really see how they, they manifest and kind of like what it really can create it takes a little bit of time. So, um, I don't know if this is too soon, if it's, if it's right on, right on the spot, but we'll see, we'll see. I, I think the toughest part with ACFT is when you, when you're creating this men across the entire force, which is vastly different people doing vastly different jobs. Mm-hmm. 
the what you have to use as the reason for it or the rationale for it is the the idea of everybody is a soldier. And then what does that mean? So, hey, everyone needs to be able to pick up a rifle. You know, what is it, Jason? Every Marine is a rifleman. Like everyone needs to be able to execute these tasks as a soldier. Um, and if that if they're truly going to hold true to that, well, then put the standards in a place that if somebody can can step over that bar, then they can also perform the physical feats they need to as a soldier. Or let's not pretend that everybody's a soldier. Let's drop that line. Let's start saying, no, this person is a soldier. They're on the battlefield. This person is far removed from it. And therefore, we are going to accept that there are different standards and instead say, okay, what standard does this person need to be healthy and to not be a drain on uh, medical resources and society? Uh And it's a totally like different that, standard right? than, yeah, in infantry. Yeah, and those, yeah. Are, those are just two very different things. It, it's mm-hmm. to pick somebody up who's, who's wounded and move them to cover is very different than, hey, we need you to be able to have a, a clear mind and a healthy lifestyle and not be diabetic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's an interesting point because, um, Jason, I'm going to loop you into this. I think about like my company, for instance, I think about standards. My software developers are totally different than my sales guys. You know, maybe I'm using like a really wild analogy here, but our our standards are like these things that require no talent. Like, do you show up early? Do you communicate with your teammates? Do you provide closure and follow through on the things you say you're going to do? Like, those aren't talent or skill things. Those are like effort things. So... So, you know, there's a lot of jobs in the army, and I, I know a lot of folks who, you know, they work on computers. <laughs> um, and um, those folks who work on computers have to take the ACFT. Everybody, every 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 single person. That might raise some questions. So, you know, I, I, Nate's post got me. Obviously, yes, my phone was going off, but Nate's post, I haven't even commented on it yet. Uh, I saw Dan Bornstein, his comment was good too. You know, I, I think it boils down to where did we come from? How did we get here? And, and, and who are we moving forward? Um, without clear explanation why behind what we do, you're giving everybody the room to create their own definition of why this is happening right now and, and where is it going to go? Because there's nobody up at the top saying, why are we doing these things to include uh, job-specific possible testing? Interesting part is it's been around forever, right? Like if you are in the Marine Corps, they call it MISPIS standards. For instance, in artillerymen, the guy that puts the the shells in the big howitzer and pulls it, you know, the cannon cockers, right? The big, you know, shooting from the ground, they have a 115 pound clean and press they must pass prior to graduating the basic school of being an artilleryman. So the reason stuff like that doesn't get attention is because people don't get promoted off of it. All right. People aren't putting, get, putting more money in their pocket because they passed that MISPIS standard. They're uh-huh. not going to have more responsibility. It is a basic standard aligned within that job. Um, so they've been around forever. The army went really all eggs in on branding. And, the, and I think their name was wrong, right? Army combat fitness test. You're not, you cannot test combat uh, through a, through a sequence of events that involves zero marksmanship and involves zero people trying to kill you, right? You'll, you'll never evaluate that. So I think you should remove combat from it. What I would say is, is where are we going? 
And we see the Marine Corps leading the way in this force redesign of like, hey, we want people with prior skill sets that could come in and, and do things right away instead of us training them up. We also aren't the big ground machine that I think we, a lot of us still commit ourselves to uh, in mentality, including myself, right? Like even the Iraq and, uh, Iraqi war, Afghanistan war, big ground swells. We're walking through cities like Fallujah, owning the city by our ground troops. And guess what? There were cooks. There were engineers, there were infantry guys, there were special ops guys, there were radio operators, there were admin clerks. People had a weapon, people had a job. I think the top is not saying the clear thing of, hey, we don't want to be this in the future. We want to win from the sky. We want to want to win from space. We want to win from radio waves. We want to win from our technology, which is cool. Then communicate it. Right. We don't need the guy over there. Like you said, Hewitt, right. It, my man is pounding in codes on the computer. Hey, we don't need him deadlifting two times his body, but he's never going to do it and communicate it. It, it. Don't get me wrong. I love that. It looked great for us, but it's a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, and, and I'll end it with this, you know, whether we agree with it or disagree, it all goes, it ties back to one thing and it's recruiting, right? Mm. It's can, can we fill the boots? And mm. if we need to lessen the standard, to fill the boot, we will die on that sword a hundred times over. I watched it. I was on Paris Island as a Marine Corps drill instructor when we increased from 175, 175,000 to 202,000. I had automatic forms on my deck. The kid popped on a urinalysis, you know, when he came to boot camp, automatic drop, 365 days. He could not enlist in, in the United States Marine Corps or any branch of service again. I'll never forget the first waiver that came across my desk generate it, right? I just have to sign my signature. Kid popped on your analysis and it said, I recommend retention of said name recruit. Guess what? We removed a standard so we could fill boots. Um, wow. It happens. Which is, and I think that's what we're in. So wasn't it too long ago where there was like a concern about physical readiness with in the armed forces? Like it weren't guys... Uh, I mean, guys and gals kind of like getting put under the microscope as far as physical readiness. Was that solely due to the opposite of what you're talking about, where they were like trimming down on the number of uh, armed service persons or that was like 10 years ago, right? I mean, I think you've you've got a uh, perfect storm of a lot of things, but, you know, Jason mentioned Dan Bordenstein earlier, and I think he's one of the, the strongest people campaigning behind the idea of we're just not getting the same meat into the meat grinder anymore. Um, Physicality across the country has declined significantly with youth and that's, you know, that's the meat coming in. And so it, no matter what what it is, it's the people who who step in the boot camp just aren't ready for this shit. Like right off the bat that without a doubt showed them before. Uh And and the problem is, you know, how how do you go back and fix that? Well, that's a a major conversation that's going to take a lot of time uh, and a lot of effort and energy and and brain power for multiple people. But in the meantime, anything the military does is already going to be a Band-Aid because it's already reactionary Hmm. because you can't change what's coming in. And so you need to start to look to change the meat grinder. And if, you know, it, unfortunately just that's going to cost time and money. It means you get, you're going to need a longer boot camp to get people where they need to be when they're not starting in the same spot that they were 10, 20 years ago. Um, otherwise you're just not going to be able to do it safely. You know, Alex Morrow talks about all the time, like 
nothing's really changed. And if anything, it's changed for the better on the military side of the house. And yet we're hurting more people than ever. Well, it's because they're coming in less prepared. Yeah. Um, man, we're getting kind of broad here, but Tofi, you spent like a, a whole decade watching college freshmen come in. Um, but what I've heard from college coaches is that the quality of the athletes coming in is good because you see, I guess you see more high school strength coaches at the high school level, but we're talking about something different here. We're talking like someone who's participating and excelling in high school sports versus someone who is not. And I guess that kind of creates like a little bit of a, a paradox, right? Like a, yes. a schism in our general population. Yep. It's, it, it's it kind of very polarized. Me, kind of polarized, right? It kind of reminds me how like America whips ass in the summer Olympics. Yeah. We're like one of the most obese countries on earth. We're one of the worst health come outcomes on earth. You know, it's like, that's yes. a paradox. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly it. You're, you're elite are more elite than ever, but your, your, your gen pop are the opposite end of the spectrum. Damn. Um, let's talk about the industry of performance coaching and tactical. It's like three years ago, I started hearing about this is it. This is where the coaches are going to go. This is big. And then I'm hearing the exact same thing today. Like the trajectory doesn't seem to have flattened out. So like, let's talk about like whether that's true and then what's sort of driving that. And then what we can expect as far as like the mass of, you know, the industry. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say quickly the, number of positions is increasing drastically and there is initiative after initiative after initiative between all different components of DOD and beyond that are creating these positions um, within whatever program it is, whether it's H2F, POTIF, whatever. Um, you know, and there's a lot more even smaller scale ones that are being funded from different streams. So that's awesome to see. The problem and then I'd love to get Jason's thoughts on this, but the, the major problem is most of them aren't really set up in a way that is sustainable and that is thinking about long-term and big picture. And so they're not paying enough money. They're not providing good enough benefits. They're going to lowest bidders. They're only guaranteed for maybe a year. Uh, even the way that they hire it is if you hit the prereqs, you're in. So there's no... Um, examination of cultural fit, cultural competency, which is arguably more, in fact, I, I would just say it is more important than your ability to command X's and O's. This mm -hmm. is a relationship business, as we know. So, uh, you know, I, I worry a little bit, bit about where it's going. And I think it's going to take a few black eyes along the way before they realize that um, and, and, and invest for the long term. Yeah. Um, I think Nate hit it on the head. You know, Nate and I obviously have very similar backgrounds, so it's interesting, right? We, we both wore a uniform. We both left the service. Uh, Nate did a return visit. I did not. Um, and, you know, we got into the civilian side of, of health and wellness, and then we both made our way back to the DOD as employees. Um, so, I, you know, I, I say that to say is we've been on the spectrum of not having any type of professional basis of education to lead physical fitness to being the professional that led physical fitness to that same population. Uh, and I think they hit it on the head, you know, um, I, I'll tie it to this story. I was at Fort Jackson a couple weeks ago and, uh, they're for them, they do this quarterly challenge day. Uh, so, and I love beautiful, right. They segue it like 
their top one, two percenters, which in all honesty was going to be their com- combat arms guys and gals. They showed up at zero five, took off on six miles uh, of a run, had some obstacles, had some, uh, you know, some other, some, some mental drills involved, nothing really crazy. Right. Uh, whatever, nice kind of chill pace for the run, you know, obstacles were decently challenging, get back, carry a 180 pound dummy to the end. Um, and, uh, again, symbolizing that, that, that was a dead, uh, service member came back, um, you know, 30, 45 minute break, had some chow, some water, uh, was offered to everybody relaxation. There was some recovery tools there. Um, and then kicked off the Murph, right? And those that are not listening, one mile run, you know, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, one mile run. Everybody, you know, all, all the coaches can now go, oh my gosh, too much, right? You know, and, um, but, you know, I, I'll say to this, I'm watching this guy cheer, right? Everybody that comes by on the last lap of the Murph, this guy is just cheering them, calling them by name, calling them who they are. And uh, I'm looking at him. And I walk over. I was like, hey, how you doing, man? Jason Clark. He said, oh, uh, Tony Blair. I was like, cool. Who are you? He's like, oh, I'm the Sergeant Major for so, right? Instantly, big green light to me and a big bright light on him. I said, you are the exact what every human being inside the DOD should be looking at. Somebody who cares, someone who's out here to see completion, someone who knows people's names. And then I asked the next question, uh, hey, where's your, like, your H2F staff? And... Uh, Instantly, he was like, I don't know. You're mm. not here. You will fail. You will not move the needle. And you do not deserve to have that job if you do not understand that that day right there is important to your population as they're out there for Memorial Day mentality of why we are the land of the free watching them complete physically exalting tasks. Marcus Luttrell was out there to speak. It was an emotional time and you're not there. Mm -hmm. I don't care how good your X's and O's are. I don't care what your PRs are. I care if you care. And until that is understood within this population of tactical, coaches are a facade that are filling a billet that are not moving a needle. Mm -hmm. Um, I know it may hurt a lot of people's feelings when I say that. And I know a lot of, I might catch a lot of heat for what I said, but you're on the field on a Sunday when a football team is playing. Yeah, You're on a field on a Saturday when the other team is playing. Why are you not on the field when you can get as close to this realest thing as you can get when they're playing what they do? Hmm. That, that makes me want to ask Tofi. So like, look, before Tofi joined team builder, when we offered him, he asked to extend his start date so that he could finish the spring season with, was it your hockey team? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the hockey team was finishing up their, their season. So I wanted to make sure that like there was someone, a familiar face for them while they finished out the rest of their season. And it wasn't this giant change up yeah, in the middle which, of like the playoff run. So for me, I was like, oh, fuck yeah. And that's awesome. You want to hear that. Like, this guy's committed to his job. He's switching jobs, but he wants closure, which is awesome. So I, I guess, Tofi, you've coached with a lot of people, you know, <laughs> over the years. You probably know some people who went to tactical and, you know, when you're in college, it's almost like it's almost to where it becomes a negative where they expect you to be so bought in. You're giving up a lot. You know, the, the transaction's not really fair. So I guess you see that in college, at least at good programs where you show up at your team's practices, you travel with the team, you're invested in the outcomes of their competition, not just the outcomes in your domain, you know, and the performance. 
So like, Tofi, have you been able to observe coaches that, you know, go to tactical and like, what has a transition been like from like what you've observed? So, I mean, I think, um, you know, every team needs a culture, right. And, and this goes to tactical, this goes to, you know, a tennis team, this goes to a football team. It doesn't matter who you're working with. If you're coaching those, you know, that those people, um, there's a culture that they embody. Right. And if you're inserting yourself into that culture, you have to embody that culture just a little bit as well. And, you know, for yourself, if you're, if you're scratching your head, you know, why aren't these people bought into me? It might be because you're not bought into them. Right. And what they do on a regular basis. And it's, you know, I think a coach is a coach is a coach. Um, but what makes a great coach great is someone that understands that, you know, I never played football, but I went to football practices because I wanted to understand what these kids went through. Right. You know, I went to, uh, I coached the rugby team. I had never played, you know, I've never been, I don't even know the rules of rugby, but I went to the rugby practices and games because I worked with the rugby team. And like, I needed to know what those people went through on a regular basis to understand that when they stepped into my weight room, that I knew what they went through. You know, when they said they had practice, I know what practice looks like. When they said they had a game and it was a really hard game. Well, I know what a, a good team they play against looks like. Right. So I think when it comes to tactical, you know, um, you got to put yourself out there, especially if you're someone that's coming from the college side that may have never, you know, been through the culture that is the tactical setting. You know, you have to show up, you know, you have to show up and be like, Hey, I'm here for you because you know, when you come into the weight room, I expect you to be there for me. And you can't demand that. Um, because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, Nate said it, it's a people business. It's a relationship business. You know, it's, it's one thing to say like, yeah, yeah I want you to do this because we need to get better at this. But if you don't have some sort of rapport with that person, it's really, really difficult to, to get them to move the needle on their own because they're not going to work for you. They're just working for themselves. And you happen to be kind of like there by proxy, you know? So I, one, one saying that, uh, uh, a former director of mine, Tom Newman, would always say it's, you know, the athletes, uh, don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And I think that's so vitally important in our industry and any industry as a coach, regardless of, you know, whoever's standing in front of you. So that, that's a major, major component of our certification. We have a whole section called coach. Part of that's connection. You know, Vernon likes to say, uh, you know, trust is a two-way street, whereas buy-in is a one-way street. And I think that ties exactly to what you're saying is, are you, you know, are, are you bought into them? Um, are you showing up? Are, you know, obviously there's an empathy component and that is going to involve some vulnerability. It's going to involve putting yourself out there. You know, you're a big, strong dude, maybe former football player. And, you know, you're on the weight room floor and you can crush some weights. That's cool. That might get you a level of respect, but like go for the run and be the slow guy, go out at the range and shoot poorly and put the kid on, go through the stress shoot, have the high heart rate, like expose yourself a little bit and put yourself in their shoes. And if you're not willing to do that, then, you know, back to Jason's point too, like you're never going to get anywhere with these folks. And, and I love the, you know, the, um, you know, they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care and to totally steal, I believe it's Dr. Roy Sugarman, but I learned this by way of Stefan Underwood at Exos. You know, he says, you're not an expert without an invitation. And I absolutely love that because you need to earn that invitation you need to earn that seat at the table. And obviously within warrior culture, that doesn't come easy. Mm. Oh, I, uh, and I wanted to make sure I put this one in there because 
I don't, I don't want coaches to think that I like I'm a hater of the profession and tactical. I a hundred percent support the move, but this is what I say. And I think that all of us could, could, could learn from this, right? Everybody understands your product, but not everybody understands your value. Um, most people understand like, Oh, okay. This dude's going to leave me or gal's going to leave me through some exercises involving strength. I, cause their name is strengths. Um, I got it. Right. But what does that mean? Like if, if I don't understand the value, I really often don't really care about the product, right? Like I need to understand the value in my life of your product. And, um, I think that, you know, for all the guys that are moving from sport to tactical, it's like, Hey, your beginning is that right there. Let them understand your value. And by that value, you will get that by being out there with them to understand what they do. Right. Like, you know, uh, and then that, that relationships starts to blend, you know, I, I mean, for me, like, I hope it succeeds. I really do. Um, but I, as this just mass flux of people are coming in, there's just not this level of care from high. And, and I think this is two sided fault, you know, one, the contract owner and two, the, the uniform personnel that are, that are buying these contracts is like, nobody understands it. Like you gotta help people understand why is this here? Um, and what like, does it mean for me out in the first place? Like, yeah, like, why do I have a coach now? We've been yeah, leading like, PT uh, uh, since, you know, we've been leading PT on our, I mean, I tell people it's a hard conversation, right? Hey, you've seen our track record in war. We're pretty good at what we do. Uh, you know what I mean? You see how we can uh, take down these places. See how we, did you see what we did to Bin Laden? You might've saw that on the news. We're pretty good at what we do. Why do we need you? Right? Like, what do you bring to the table? And, and that's what I'm saying is that level of conversation. We're like, hey, <laughs> what you do with a rifle, I will never, ever touch. What I do for you from the moment that you start to the moment you may need to use that rifle is where I'm going to move the needle in your life so that you come back home. And so the people left and right of you have a better chance at coming back home based on physicality alone. Um, so that type of deal. Yeah. I think it's fair to say most of the coaches making their way into tactical company college. Um, right. Is that the majority of the coaches? Yeah, it kind of makes sense. I'm trying to think of where else they'd come from. It, it, it makes sense to me. D- do you think? Do you think that's had like a net positive impact on on the military's initiative? And, uh, I'll say this: so for the POTIF early on, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it pulled the pendulum in a direction that you know, multi-directional movement, strength and power. You know, uh, more anaerobic qualities, things that weren't really being touched before, and so you had folks who were very high volume endurance dominant, you start to introduce concepts of recovery, things like that. And it brought, it kind of brought everything to this middle ground. And then over time, those coaches sought to better understand how they can deliver value, you know, to the folks they worked with. And and so I think you, I think it was a huge move in the, in the right direction. I think with H2F, you're seeing a little bit differently because you're seeing coaches who walk in expecting basically to set up the weight room and for the teams to flow through and for it to look and feel a lot like college. And then when it doesn't, they, they want to blame the unit for that. And I'm not saying the unit isn't at fault. Anyone who follows anything I post, I tend to attack the leadership the most. Um, if I want to put fault on somebody, but 
same token, like you got to meet them where they're at, or you're just never going to move the needle. And so if they're not coming into that weight room already automatically on a schedule, then how do you need to flex to be effective? Go figure that out instead of being entitled um, and just waiting for them to come through like a bunch of college kids. It's not going to work that way. So, so that, that kind of surprises me. Like I, I guess I'm just under the impression that the military is organized. You do as you're told your own time. So, <laughs> so the college coaches think. are failing because the, what the, the units, is it because of that specific, the training is not what being held as seriously as like the other components of training. Like, um, <laughs> It depends where you are. Some value mm-hmm. physicality more than others, without a doubt. You know, my, I'm here at my brother's and, and uh, he's near Fort Stewart and, and he was talking about he's surprised by his unit, how they do set aside legitimate time for PT and people do seem to PT often misguided, but at least they're, they're investing the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're definitely going to go some places where, you know, f- it, people will spend more time figuring out how to hide from it than to actually execute or you're also talking about like let's say you're a weight let's say you're a strength coach and you're probably somewhere where the ratio is 1 to 1000 and so already you need to adjust because you're not even going to get that much traffic through your weight room in a day your weight room probably accommodates maybe 50 at a time if you're lucky if you even have a weight room which a lot of units aren't going to and so you need to get creative and you need to build relationships with leadership and have them change up schedules and find ways to affect the time that people are not spending with you. And you've seen some places are highly effective. They, the, the coaches are getting creative. They're creating a lot of educational platforms, obviously remote training, app-based training, things like that can be helpful. Lots of ways to force multiply, but that takes that coach being proactive. Yeah. And I'll tell you who, one that'll, one that'll blow people's mind. And, um, you know, with Beaver Fit, we see it all the time, man. Like, uh, Coaches are hired right now that may show up that don't have anything. And I'm talking about like not even a dumbbell, not even a a resistance band, like there's nothing. And what would blow the civilian population's mind, because I really have looked at this over time where I don't think people really understand this. Physical fitness is not funded in the DOD, right? There is no line item that goes to the unit level to fund physical fitness at at a unit level. So when 90, until we, until the army introduced H2F and they did law, large contract buys, right? Even now, like you watch the Marine Corps, when units are forward leaning and they buy something, they buy equipment or they do a weight room or they do, it is out of the unit level funds that they have set aside at their own to say, Hey, let's make a deposit into this and, and let's, let's do something. Um, so when you think about that alone, that I just said that at the unit level, if you choose to make that deposit, you can, if you choose not to, you can also, where do you go with it all? Right? Like it is the fact that you have an unfunded theory in the majority of organizations that is being Blast it. Like if you, if you read all the messaging on LinkedIn, right. Or Insta, you would think that every place you go to is like some fully stacked, like, Oh yeah, man. Hey, we've got to quit. You yeah, know, we've got, I thought it was all sore next out and everything. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, uh, what do you do? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like I said, it's, it's very layered. It's very complicated. Uh, 
but you know, to the point of Nate's coach, man, and, I, and I'll live and die by this one also though. I'm going to tell you, if I'm still in uniform, the civilian coach shows up to me and I see him in his office day after day, after day, after day, after day. And, and I'm like, huh, okay. Uh, hey, you're going to work with the guys? Oh man, we ain't got nothing. I can't do anything. <laughs> okay. Well here in this organization, right? We have got to succeed with what we have. There is no other option. And what we hope for and what we pray for is that we will one day achieve and have more. But until that point, this is what we got. And we've got to be really good with what we've got. Um, so that, I think, is a challenge for college coaches because, you know, uh, I'll never forget the first thing I ever sold to a college like was a, was a, a mobile concept. And I'll never forget. They were like, hey, what, you know, what's this going to cost? Gave them a number. Okay, great. They put it together a, a dinner with their donors. Uh, and I'm talking all within you know, a week, right? And they're like, we've got the money. We're ready to go, right? The DOD don't work like that. So mm. I think that's a, you know, I think that's a struggle for college coaches, man, is to understand, like, I, I, I feel you and I support you, man. It's, it's, it's going to suck some places, but it can't be a reason for not to perform. It cannot, mm-hmm. or, or you will not exist. Yeah. If anything, it's an opportunity. Because yep. you, you'll go well beyond just being a tool that's delivering a program. You know, you can really develop skills that are transferable well beyond the weight room floor. Hundred percent. Yeah. I think it's like if you if you show up and and you say, hey, like we got nothing, but let's make the best out of this. Like, how does that look to the rest of the people around you? You know what I mean? You look like the person that says, you know, I don't have, I maybe, maybe I don't have the resources. Maybe I can't get the resources, but I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with what we have. And like, this is the, this is the direction we're going to go. And if it, if you just have a solid plan, like, I think more people will buy into that. Be like, because they're going to notice, they'll be like, oh, we don't have anything here. But like this person, they want to show up, they want to get the job done and they want to do it with what they got. And yeah. if it's nothing, it's nothing. And like, that's, that's a huge lesson for everybody else around them because they're like, they may be caught in a situation where they got nothing too, but they, you know, they found, they found out, they saw someone make it work with nothing. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's almost a learning point at that. Yeah. So it, that is it. I went into FDNY Academy a few years back when I was still with NSCA and they have a whole like team of fitness instructors, right? These are firefighters who this is now a new role for them that they take on for a certain period of time at the Academy. And the amount of pride that they put into their ingenuity, they had reduced injury rates and increased performance drastically on a number of different things. And what they had at their disposal was basically a field and some pull-up bars. And that was it. And they just got smart and they got creative and they educated themselves. And then they educated the folks in the academy. And I'd never seen a group do more with less. And they took so much pride in that. And it was just awesome to see. And it, it was just a reminder that like, yeah, you don't need all that much to move the needle, but mm-hmm. there's no replacement for caring. So that kind of brings up a question I had. Before the H2F program, there, there were fitness instructors in Army, and they were uniform personnel, right? What's, what's the correct term for, for those folks? Well, in the Army specifically, you've got master fitness trainers. Right. But I, that program, for a number of reasons, that's a fairly limited situation. <laughs> So limited as in limited in how many people participated in the program? Well, one, you, yeah, you, one, you don't have enough of them. Uh, okay. Two, kind of back to where this conversation started with their education. I think too much of it is focused on underlying exercise science and not enough on practical, practical, usable stuff. You're talking about a couple week course that they go to 
Um, also, a lot of them aren't the right person. They're just mm. whoever got voluntold to go to the course. If they gotcha. are the right person, then they're probably going to get promoted to a position where now they can't execute that role anyway. And it's at least a secondary for many, probably more like a tertiary role for them. And so uh, it, it it's, looks good maybe in theory. I don't even know if it looks that good in theory, but it certainly has not worked in practice. You know, if you got some E4 that went to a course and came back and then he's like, Hey, platoon sergeant, this is what we're going to do this month. Like, yeah. Okay. And most of them, quite honestly, like they just, they, even if you gave them the reins, I don't think they really would know what to do with it. Interesting. So it yeah. sounds like this just was never a serious program. And that H2F is kind of like an indictment of the master fitness trainer, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of saying it's, they didn't even try to reform, I guess, that, that program, they just added a whole new program to supersede it. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the I will say this. So if you, if you add the two together, it is a, a step in the right direction because you, now you have somebody who is a central figure or say a coach who mm-hmm. is a true SME and now your MFTs can serve as force multipliers within the group. So they can kind of translate from the coach to the soldiers. And so there's potential there, but that said, I don't think they need to go away to a, a course, you know, a centralized course to do that. Those coaches can create their own education within their unit, which mm. many are doing because one, they can identify the best people to come to the course. They can teach them in a way that's relevant to the way they're actually coaching on a day to day versus going to a schoolhouse where there's one theory for people coming from 20 different places. Mm. Um, and so I think that those in conjunction with each other, there's, there's potential to be effective, especially when you're never going to reach the coach to athlete ratio that you need for it to look like. I see. It's an interesting hierarchy of operation that you're kind of citing there, because Jason, I've heard you say that the goal ultimately though, is not for H2F coaches, for example, to have complete autonomy. They want the uniform personnel to still be in the driver's seat when it comes to to fitness. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. I mean, the, you know, you see it with the contract that was signed, like H2F was giving a certain amount of time for civilian coaches to be in play to what Nate was saying, right? Like really work with the MFTs in a force multiplying direction to say, okay, cool. Now, Hey, this is sustainable with one or two S and C personnel at the larger scale and the remainder are back to uniform personnel. So big oversight coming from the SNC SME into the actual activation of it is down at the at the unit level with uniformed personnel executing the programs. Um, so you could say like easy one plus one equals two. Big SNC, you know, top level might be even writing the programs that are out there. Uh, uh-huh. Uniformed personnel are conducting the programs that are out there. Type deal. Yeah, that seems like a really exciting prospect for an SNC professional. You know, if you're working the floor 12 hours a day and just running teams <laughs> through your programming, and then now you're kind of in this very strategic position where you can have a really large impact from like a managerial perspective. That seems, I don't know, for me, that seems really, really exciting. Like that's, that's a career step in my opinion. I think it's a, it's a beautiful concept, you know, and I, and I've been on this little tangent lately about saying it, right? Like concepts, what's on paper, programs are what are activated by actually doing them. And uh, so the concept is beautiful. The activation of that or the program, I'm not so sure is, is, is aligned right now. I'll give it that, right? I don't think both sides understand the future. Again, I go right back to the why. I don't think it's clearly understood. 
Um, and you know, the easiest way to always identify that is just simply ask questions, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, ask one of these SNC coaches that just got onto H2F, man. Uh, how long you plan on being here? Like, what do you, what's your goal while you're here? Uh, what's next? Where you, what are you looking to do in your career and see where they're going, man? Cause I think a lot just took a jump, right? Like whoop, I'm going in. Um, that's where they are. Yeah. It, it's interesting. You bring that up, Jason, cause that's, that's been part of the problem even with code if, from the beginning is there's, there's a lack of progression for your role. And so you're just a, you're a coach and you're going to be a coach and there's no next step really. Uh, you know, there's been a few HPA positions open up, which is sort of a, you're stepping more into the admin side of things and having folks under you. Uh, there's GS lead positions, but those are on a totally separate track. You don't promote from a contracting role into a GS role. They're totally unrelated. So there's just kind of that lapse, which is another reason, quite honestly, to pay coaches more if you want to keep them in the same position without giving them any career advancement, which is exactly what's happened. You know, if somebody's a coach right now at 10 Special Forces Group and they have been since day one, well, they're the same coach in the same position on the same contract with very little, if any, advancement in salary. And a lot of places have even taken pay cuts over the years because it depends on the contract and, and the contract company and everything else. So, um, and, and I've seen it time again. And it's one thing I always talk about is longevity of people in positions is the key to success in this. If you have turnover, you're doomed. But when the operator goes away for five years to some other unit and something else, and he comes back in and that same coach or that same GS lead is there who was there when he left, that's typically indicative of a powerful program because it can outlast new leaders, new people rolling through. It has its own influence. Yeah. Do we have enough track record to know what the retention rates are like for coaches in military? I mean, is attrition an issue yet or do we feel like it will be? I I don't see it as too much of an issue on the special ops front, but it's unit specific. Some units chew up Uh, and spit out. Some some units churn more than others. Yep. Uh And that depends on usually the GS lead is a a big part of that, but also just the unit culture in general. Uh, Some places obviously are going to be tougher to work than others, just like any other job on the planet. Yeah. Uh, So special ops has lower churn just because the culture tends to be better in those units. Yes. And there was part of it. Oh, they get money. Oh, okay. (laughs) They get results. So they get the money. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes to no though. So initially those positions paid and then those coaches who got in early were able to maintain at least a good chunk of what they were paid for a long time. Uh, But folks like myself, when I came into it, you know, even a few years in that, that pay was not any, anything special and it wasn't moving. Um, and right now, it's not anything spectacular. It's, yeah. it's not enough to keep people as long as I think you need to keep them. So you yeah, yeah. have more turnover now. Yeah. And I agree. You know, Nate, Nate's spot on, man. You know, the other side of it is like, uh, it's the conversation that has to be had. If, if we truly believe this is the human weapon system, and we truly believe that we are trying to make a difference in readiness, retention, and injury prevention long term, uh, imagine what we're handing the keys to, to the strength coaches we bring in from a financial standpoint, right? It is a lot of money that they are touching in a weight room every day. As far as those personnel, it is a lot of money. Some of them are millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars of where they are in their career. So where else in the world do we hand somebody 
the responsibility of millions and millions and millions of dollars and we pay them 40 or 50 K. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. Um, so the system is what it is, right? Like you, you create what you create. There, there's no other way to look at it and nothing changes if nothing changes. So yeah. you want, and even me, right? I'm sitting here on tangents over the strength coach and all that, but Hey, I've got to have the empathy in myself to say, you're making 45 K. My time clock doesn't require me to come out there at zero five for a six mile run. Why should I, uh, I get it. I, you know, um, so yes, Nate, Nate's spot on with like, you know, the, the concept of pay was, was there in the beginning, but it's, it's, ter- I, I can tell you that there were points in times where I had responsibility of pilots and a lot of pilots. And, uh, you, you ever seen what the cost figure is to, for a pilot to, you know, be able Every to fly, time they fly a jet, it's gotta be a couple of grand of <laughs> fuel alone. Yeah. Plus just the gas. People working on the aircraft <laughs> make, make sure it's ready to go out. Huh? Yeah, man. So I, I think it's just a conversation, you know, I think it's easy for people to get lost sometimes, like, you know, in the concept of like, what is the actual responsibility of the billet? And, um, you know, I always told people, man, like people ask my claim to fame and within coaching, I always say it was this man, my X's and O's were nothing, right? Like, whatever man like x's and o's are there my claim to fame was i never hurt anybody um nobody ever left the room hurt and Mm -hmm. uh that was what i strived to have was that we would move the needle in in general health wellness and and performance but i wanted to never hurt somebody um yeah you know and and nor did i want them to come to me because they got hurt in their day-to-day job you know Mm -hmm. uh that was where i moved the needle yeah and this is kind of um like off track, but I'm just curious and everyone likes talking special forces, but I'm genuinely curious about this. I think like the narrative is pretty well established that besides some small conflicts, U S special forces really became activated when we Afghanistan and then, and then Iraq. Um, so I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm leaving out some conflicts, right. But I mean, like on a large, on a large scale. Um, so what did the training look like for special forces prior to I guess, because I think Iraq and Afghanistan were, were definitely, in retrospect, seen as paradigm shifts for how we looked at combat, how we looked at training troops and so on like that. What kind of ha- what took place for those guys prior to 2001? You name it. Really? Just whatever yeah. they wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, it, it, dep- it whatever leadership was good at is probably what you did, it, depending what unit. So I'll speak to Rangers just because that's where I was prior to coaches, um, you know, it was, it, it's squad leader led PT. And so whatever that squad leader loves, you know, I had a squad leader who was a former Marine scuba diver. So we spent a lot of time in the pool. I had a squad leader like to run backwards. And so we ran backwards a lot. Um, you know, I, I, you have a squad leader that, that discovered CrossFit and now you're all doing CrossFit. Uh, Jim Jones became pop. So like it was all over the map. And then units literally in 2010, we brought in at the time athletes performance to do like a seminar with us. We brought in Jim Jones. Uh, they started the Ranger athlete warrior program. So things started to become a little bit more formalized and educated, but even then what it lacked was the sensitivity to our resources. And so we didn't have significant, we didn't have enough equipment. Um, we didn't have the space to be cycling people through a weight room. And so we didn't really, we got a watered down version of all those things that uh-huh. wasn't really as appealing um, as they probably would have been in their entirety. And, and, and again, back to that cultural sensitivity, cultural competence piece, you know, athletes performance comes in and slaps a bunch of mini bands on people. 
like you're dead in the water. <laughs> um, and, and so you just got to be careful how you're delivering and what battles you're choosing to fight, you know, versus yeah. say a Jim Jones, people really gravitated toward, cause that was about working hard, moving weight, yeah. getting comfortable. And that was more speaking our language. Um, yeah. So, so in, in your case, it seemed like the interventional effort took place around 2010. Um, yeah, which is pretty close what, to when they stood up what's now POTIF. Okay, gotcha. And Jason, your experience was the same. Like, what was the catalyst that sort of? No. Yeah, it, it, I was. 2010 is a great time. I remember 08, 09 uh, being the beta for a couple things that were out that were kind of Uber CrossFit centric, you know. Uh, yeah. And. You know, but yeah, 10 was the big curvature, but you know, to Nate's point, man, like, you know, and I remember, I'm sure Nate could tell some incredible stories just and this is a short one, but you know, the organization prided itself on break off, right? Like organizations, you wanted to be the hardest, baddest dudes in the fucking unit, right? Like my squad is the best squad. So I remember like coming back from the gas chamber one day and, uh, and we were UDP in Okinawa, a bazillion degrees. And I'm looking again, 19, 20 year old taking charge. I'm looking around. Everybody's walking back negative. Hey, throw the gas mask on. Let's jog it back. You know, uh, I mean, whatever it was, a mile, two miles. Mm. Let's just run in them. For fuck, you know, now I'm like, well, for what? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. But, you know, I, I would say for, for most people to cross the mentality, like what it was to where it was honestly look at like a Goggins man like just because he's polarizing the dude's mm. just out there oh let's go run 100 miles uh let's go try to break a record in pull-ups uh let's go try to do this let's uh it's all hard stuff yeah that makes you mentally the baddest dude on the planet and that's yeah. it man that was it yeah however you and, could get there yeah and like it's funny you, you both mentioned CrossFit like 2010 that's exactly when I found out about CrossFit and it's amazing in retrospect that think about how it took the fitness world by storm uh, because it was hard. So it was like the mentality was always there. They were just kind of adopting, you know, what kind of like supported that mentality, which in 2010 it had to be CrossFit and Jim Jones, right? They're, they're kind of connected. Um, yeah. I remember that happening in collegiate uh, athletics, like 2010, I was playing college football. We were doing CrossFit football. That's when I first found out about it. And um, it's just amazing how that, that was like a material movement at that point in time, you know, that still kind of resonates today, but not as much as back then. Well, you know, similarly, it, at first it worked because again, you had people who were, had never touched a weight and suddenly, yeah. they're, suddenly they're resistance training to some degree. And my, so my mom's friend wanted to play with barbells. I'm like, you know, she, I was like, out of nowhere because CrossFit came along. Like that never had happened before CrossFit came along. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it, yep. it provided a, a very attractive entry into weight training for a lot of soldiers. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think the biggest thing you could ever learn from CrossFit, which I would say is like a lesson the army uh, and everybody could learn again. It's how important the brand is, right? Uh, mm. It is how important your brand at play is. And, uh, you know, I took, I took uh, my kiddos and family down uh, this week when I got back in town, we went to the Savannah, uh, Savannah Bananas baseball game, right? Uh, seven years ago, that organization died. It was the Savannah Sand Nats. Bankrupt, out of money, nothing. Seven years later, Jesse Cole has led that organization to have a wait list of 51,000 people to take part in that experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, CrossFit did it. 
CrossFit brought the experience of working out. And that's what I think a lot of people fail to realize with the brands that play to include their weight rooms, to include their P- PTs. It's the experience that pe- that matters, right? Yeah. You come in there. I mean, I don't know how, you know, of course, traveling like I do. And, and I'm so judgmental when I walk in. I don't ever work out on DOD installations. I always want to go out in town when I'm traveling and, and check it out. And uh, I always want to check out the training, man. I want to see what people are doing. And, uh, you know, of course, you go to like, what in the world are you doing? Like, you know, from from X's and O's. But to me, it's like, man, like the experience, dude. Like, oh, like, oh one, two, three. Like, no, your breath is your is your is your power. It's your education, man. Make it an experience. Teach. Explore their mind. Explore their body while they're working out. And and all that to be said is that's why, in my opinion, CrossFit owned it, man, because they brought an experience to working out that was so uncommon. And uh, and it it took off. You know, Uh, I would say the same with H2F, man. H2F could polarize itself. They have a brand. They have marketing. They have logos. They have these things. Put some faces behind it, bring an experience to it, man. Like it should be exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tofi, how many athletes over the years asked you to do CrossFit in the weight room? Uh, oh, tons, tons. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally get it. You walk into a CrossFit, you know, gym anywhere and it's, it's a community experience. It's an experience. Like Jason said, it's like you walk in and everyone's pushing each other. The workouts are hard. You know, they're going to be hard. Like you're going to be sweating. <laughs> you're going to move. It's, it's. And I get why CrossFit is so big and, you know, you can have your opinions on like the exercise selection and how all things kind of go about. But like at the end of the day, like some people are just there to get that experience, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not the coach's hour. It's, it's the person's hour that pays for the, the money to be there. Right. Like it's like, it's their time on the floor to do what they effectively want to do. And if that's to be pumped up by, you know, five or six people around them and get like, you know, they've never talked to those people before, but they're like, wow, this is, this is great. Like all of us are in here, like working hard, doing the same thing together. We're, we know we're moving forward together through this workout and we're pushing each other. Like that's, that to me is like, it's phenomenal. Like that's what, you know, exercise workout, you know, workout should be. It's like you're together as a team moving forward and it's, it's a fun experience for everybody, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, hey, I, I, I would say what I'd say, watch out. Cause it's coming again. Um, I mean, you know, uh, obviously from the Beaver fit side, we've done some outdoor trailers for them. F 45 is aimed at the military. Mm. They, they are aimed at it. Right. Mm. And what is, what does F 45 bring that the military doesn't, they bring an experience when you yeah. step in to the room. Fit light. <laughs> you know, right. And it's like I said, man, I've, you know how many people have hit me up with like, oh my God, you know, like F45. And I'm like, look, dude, like it's not performance, right? Mm-hmm. We're not in some linear periodization to seek out, you know, some new metrics of, of strength and, and endurance. But guess what? It gets people, people like moving. It. Yeah, people They like enjoy it. it. Yeah. I, I think that ties back to earlier in the conversation where we talked about what's the level of physicality needed. And I would say to specificity within your role, like should an operator be training like an athlete, in my opinion, absolutely. But their job is highly physical and there's a lot at stake. Does the supply guy need to be training like that? Or does he just need general fitness? That's part of an an enhanced lifestyle. And so then is a, is a CrossFitter an F45 or insert whatever great brand here that they're going to show up and do daily, that's probably a win. Yeah, it's definitely a win. Cause, um, man, you, you got to, people got to show up. They got to show up. 
That's and yeah. Uh, yeah, you can make them show up like that. I know that happens at, at Yale. If you play football at Yale, you you can't miss out. But like that's not everywhere, you know. And even then, it's it's it, do, do they show up because they have to? Or do they show up looking forward to what they're going to do? That's a big difference in the effort output in that session. Um, I mean, so I mean, even at Yale, like we had not to cut you off, Stuart. Sorry, but even at yeah, Yale, yeah. like we had some teams that you know their lifting culture before they got to you know we had a lot of sports that don't have a lifting culture all throughout high school all throughout youth and when you got there if you try to put them through like a quote unquote football style workout where you're trying to move heavy weight all the time and they've never touched a barbell in their life they're not going to want to show up you know it doesn't matter what music is playing in the background it doesn't matter you know who on their team is is also there but like you know there were certain times that like you know coaches on staff would say you know we're putting together this workout because i know the athletes like it and they're not, they're not coming to, you know, the rest of the staff saying like, I've just invented this brand new performance, you know, style of workout for this team. But the fact that those kids showed up, enjoyed what they did and got a good workout and like move some weight, that's better than them not showing up at all. Cause you know, walking through the streets, going class to class, sitting in a chair, you're not, there's no resistance there. Right. You, you put a 20 pound dumbbell in somebody's hands. That's never picked up 10 pounds before, you know, that's a win. That's a huge win for them. So like there's certain levels of certain sports that are just the same where it's like, I don't need them squatting, you know, 400 pounds, 500 pounds. I need them just moving. You know, I need Not them this semester physically. Anyway, eventually. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Next one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You get a surprise. And once they're all in, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I think, you know, too. And I think what's interesting with everything that, you know, we we've talked here in these last couple of minutes, right. If I said CrossFit, Right. And just said, that's all I said is mentally, where do you go? Right. Even to the point where we probably mentally break down, I think of a person in my head. Uh, right. Like, is it a frowning? Is it a Frazier? And I think about what they look like. If I say F45, even mentally to like, oh, okay, what is that? Or if I said, hey, uh, he's an ultra runner uh, or she's an ultra runner, visually, I start coming up with something. Mm. Tactical athlete. Supply, mail clerk, infantry. Mm-hmm. Who are you aiming at? Because we all don't matter who we are, man. If we're if we, if we work if we live in this realm, we have something visually that we're attaining something to, right? And what what is the image that that we are that takes to be really good at those things, right? Because that's the, the other side of it is when I say, if you think Rich Froning, he was really good at CrossFit. If I think Matt Frazier, he would, what if I say I'm wearing a, a Mercedes hat, giving my boy, you know, uh, some props over there in the F1 world. But if I say Formula One racer, who do you look at as the visual? That I think is a very big challenge in tactical that we really aren't truly ass- assessing either, mm-hmm. right? It's like, what does the tactical athlete look like? Uh, and- and we can kind of state the obvious, Jason. Like, what do people think about? They think about SEAL Team Six. You know, they're they're thinking of that. That's what they're thinking about. Guys rucking with forty pounds, eighty pounds. You know, but and, come on, point one percent, point oh one percent of of the entire tactical population, right? Yeah, I mean, I could stand up, or Nate could stand up, or you could stand up, or Toby could stand, and that's what we have to understand. That's the tactical athlete, right? Like every they're they're all over the place. Um, and I think that's so much of a struggle right now too, with cultural buy-in when we talk experience, when we talk the brand at play, when we talk, where's it going is 
do we really know <laughs> what is needed to be a really good tactical? Uh, we do yeah. know. I mean, but are we yeah. teaching and educating to that platform, man? It's like, you know, uh, we all went through, I mean, Nate did it too. I know he did without even asking, man. We all went through the bodybuilding era, right? Mm. Oh, oh, like, hey, I want big biceps, big chest. You know, uh, I want to be the powerhouse that can't walk. Cool, man. Hey, we need, today we're, we're going to hike 15 miles. Uh, like, what? Um, Hey, today, you know, is an eight mile run. What? I don't run, you know, that kills my gains. Um, (laughs) right. Like it's a reality though, man. It's an elephant in the room that no one addresses. You know what I mean? It's like kill some of that stuff's got to be killed from the get go. You know what I mean? Like, Hey bro, you can deadlift four Oh five, but you can't move five feet. And and brother, like the businessman in me right now is I'm thinking about my marketing. Like when team builder starts, you know, talking about how we work with tactical, who do we got on the the image, right? It's the guy with the night vision goggles on. You know, it's 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 a SWAT team operator. And I'm thinking about like, man, I'm guilty too. Like, you know, we're we're trying to talk about tactical and we're featuring the people that it, it's it's not the reality, you know, it's not the whole picture. It's not even close to the whole picture. So it makes me think about, man, we need to recalibrate and rethink how we're who we're talking to because if the guy or gal is training national guard reserves and, and you know they they see our ad or our magazine ad or whatever and, and you know it's this person doing you know covert nighttime operations like what are we doing here you know this isn't this isn't it so i'm starting to rethink it a little bit too and these conversations kind of help me rethink it like let's we got to break the the mold and and as a company we can do that too by kind of changing up how we decide to kind of visualize you know who the tactical population is and who we need to improve and who needs to participate i mean it's yeah. something even the military's done is is brand toward just the everyday civilian, right? Like they, they're showing the professionalization of these different skills that aren't just soldiering. Yeah. Um, and as a way to attract, you know, and, and recruit talent in those different areas. Yeah. So it's, but part of it too is also it's, you're not necessarily marketing to who they are. You're marketing to who they think they want to be. And yeah. So that's always something worth asking too, isn't just what you do. It's more like, how do you see yourself or how would you like to? Um, no, man, I saw it last operator week in the commercial. It's the guy flying drones in a tent. You know, he didn't look like a special ops guy. He's still a dangerous man. You got to watch out for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, Hugh, what you're saying with the mar- like your marketing side is what I think the DOD needs to understand with its marketing side, right? Is like, this whole SNC movement and all of this, man, are you marketing to your masses or are you marketing to the one percenters that Mm. want big biceps that want big, I was on base last night. Um, one of the local teams, uh, was missing players for softball. And, um, so anyway, they called my mother-in-law like, Hey, can, you know, your son-in-law, I knew none of them. I was like, yeah, whatever, man. And I had already done like seven miles of an interval run. I was like, uh, like, yeah, I'll come play two hours of softball. Right. So, <laughs> you know, show up and, uh, you know, meet everybody. And of course, now I, I, I mean, you know, whether it's fair or unfair, man, I, I instantly just analyze like where I'm at, what's going on, understanding the makeup of these people mentally and physically. And for me, it's always a case study. Right. And, uh, one of the young kids comes up and shakes my hand. So he's, you know, he's an active duty Marine. I'm like, Oh man, where you at? And he's one of the air units. I'm like, awesome, man. I'm like, uh, where are you playing at tonight? He's like, uh, they haven't told me yet. He's like, I've never played before. And I was like, okay, cool. Now we're talking 19 years old, never played baseball or anything, but, and I'm like, you know, rock on, man. Um, I said, why don't you play catcher? I was like, not a lot of stress in softball. I was like, you know, it's, he's like, okay, yes, sir. He goes, I watch him throw the first pitch back to the pitcher and he throws underhand. All right. And I'm like, oh God. Uh, 
And of course, what what do all his buddies start doing, right? Like lighting mm. him on fire, like, oh, you sissy, you probably, pansy, you know. Probably got a new nickname. Yeah. Right, right. So I was like, <laughs> oh. so you know, uh, and I was watching the kid, man. Like you could just see him sinking emotionally, right? Because mm. he is on the spotlight. So into the first inning, again, I'm just a I was like, hey, I was like, don't play catcher no more, man. I was like, I was like, you're too fast. I was like, go play right center. Nobody hits the right center, right? I'm like, uh, now I don't need you throwing all the time. I don't need you being in the spotlight. Like, I don't want to see your emotion just debunk it. So the kid got up to hit, you know, speedy little kid, slides, doesn't know how to, you know, didn't even know the rules of first base. I say all that to say is like, that's the population. Mm. Yeah. That kid does not care about big biceps. He does not care about, if you asked him probably, you know, who's Ronnie Coleman, he'd be like, what? You know, like, I mean, you know, like, um, no care. Right. But to me, that's where we're marketing at right now. That's our, that's our future, man. That's the kids coming in. And he was one of quite a few last night that were just like him. You know, Um, I was like, and I mean, it just made me think to this conversation, man, like, what if you put Joe, you know, Oh, Johnny hard rocks up on your, your poster, man, you know, 12 pack abs, you know, busting biceps, no shirt on, no skibby shirt, cami bottoms and his night vision goggles. That kid could give two craps, right? Mm-hmm. But if you put this image of this guy, you know, maybe knocking a set of pull-ups and running, but at the same time, because I even heard him say it a couple of times, but over to the right is him standing playing a video game, not sitting in a chair, like, you know, the conversion to this, like, that's who we're marketing to, man. Like, and yeah. what I care about, I care about moving his maturity needle. You never played softball before. You never lifted weights before. Perfect. 10 years later, you're leading PT. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I care about. Mm-hmm. So. That reminded me, Jason, that something that is a common thread with programs, not just in the military, but in especially in law enforcement and fire and rescue is the successful programs are often referred to as, wow, this is the first time that it felt like the army cared about me. This is the first time that there was an initiative put in place for me. And it's like, there's, there's just enough of a level of personalization that they feel like it was crafted for them. And opposite of that, I've heard, you know, even like operators say like, yeah, I went to the coach and like they they were just like, here's what everyone gets and you don't get anything special. And and then that guy was done with the coaches from then until forever. And it's like, what's funny is then he'll tell a success story somewhere. Oh, he gave me this program. It was just for me. But I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, that program wasn't just for you. But the attention was and, and engaging him in a way that put him first um, and made him feel for that moment that he was truly supported. And it's the same thing. It's like, is this a check the box thing that you're just like, Oh, coaches are in place. We've got our H2F. We're good to go. Or is this like, no, we're actually building a program that's no BS for us. That is going to, going to make me better at what I do. Mm-hmm. And if they feel that way, then there, that starts to establish that two way trust. hundred percent. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, Hewitt, I think, you know, a conversation like this, you know, and I've told Hewitt, I've told you this, and Nate, I've told you the same thing, man. Like, this to me is what needs to be happening at the theaters on bases 
um, instead of like normal where they come to a theater for a class and they get like their, their annual training done, right? Like they're talked to, right? Uh, it's a one-way street. It is not communication, right? We, we, we are not verifying, are they receiving anything? It is simply sending information. Um, but you know, I, I would tell any man, you, you want to grow this program. You want to grow the concepts, man, open the round table conversations up, you know, put three or four people up there to lead a conversation and then receive some questions, mm-hmm. right. A- answer people's questions, answer it all. Because, you know, it, it, everything we said, man, like I, I am infatuated right now, honestly. Uh, like I have become the biggest fan of formula one. Um, because I think, you know, I, I, for the longest time did not put just what is physically demanded of a human being to turn left, turn right, drive 300 kilometers an hour on a super narrow track. Um, you know, and then what's in the car, like the team that is put together to engineer that car as the Ferraris race, the Mercedes that race, the McLarens that race, the Red Bulls. And to, you know, and, and like I watched Charles Leclerc get out of his interview at, at Miami. I think I was telling you this. And he was out of his, he was out of his car for like 10 seconds walking to the interview and what was mind-blowing me he was putting on a wearable which i couldn't tell which one he was wearing but was the fact he was talking at a lower hr than i am right now that dude's level of poise and and confidence and and honestly just physical and emotional and mental balance i'm like how and then you watch the pit crews i say all of that to me because like that's tactical that is a bunch of crap coming together to make something incredible and none of them without the other are what the end product is right like best driver in the world worst engineering team they're not the best uh you know so uh, i'm really infatuated to how they're doing it honestly and what's funny is i flew with a lady from darpa the other night uh and darpa is working with red bull and researching into this and i was like Huh. And you and you and I were talking about, you know, the unit we saw visiting a NASCAR team and, uh, you know, and, and I ain't taking nothing from NASCAR. Like, Hey, they're driving fast cars, but they all turn left. What happens when you got to turn right? What happens when the bank's not the same? And what I'm learning with F1 is like their geniusness and their, their, their expertise and their concept of mission completion is not about like, Oh God, somebody needs to come fix the track. It's, oh, we need to make a better car. Oh, we need to train this turn more. Oh, we need to, no, we should be slowing down here. They're assessing the problem and navigating through the problem with their equipment, not assessing the problem and trying to fix the problem. Um, There you go. There's your tie into ACFT. Don't change the standard of the ACFT. Change the way your unit trains physically. Yep. 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 we're coming up here on wrapping up time, but I just got to I got to get into Formula One. I've met so many people that are like, oh, man. It's like people are going nuts over this guy in our company. can't stop talking about it. I'll play golf with a couple of guys who are just going on and on about going to Vegas for it. I, I, how do I get into it? Do I have to like watch a documentary? Like, how, how do I get into Formula One? Hey, today at one today at at uh, one fifty five East Casso in like 30 minutes is uh, uh-huh. the Can- Canadian Grand Prix first practice session. Gotcha. Uh, right in the middle of the workday. That's good. <laughs> yeah, well, they're all over the world, man. You know, um, they, but again, tie it into tactical. Think about the logistics, man. They ship those yeah. things all over the world. Yeah. Like, but yeah. check them out, dude. I, I, F1, 
is fascinating in my opinion, because it's just the fact of like, as the world has kind of gotten, I would say softer, they've gotten harder. Um, as the world has taken approaches to kind of mellow some things out, they've increased, um, which I think it ties it back to like what is near and dear my heart. I sent Nate a screenshot of it, man. Like do hard shit. Mm. I need an education, man. I got to understand this. I I want to, you know, like, I have capacity. I can add another sport to my, to my, I'm telling you, look, 150, like tune in 155 today. Um, but really the race this week is perfect. Cause it's like us afternoon time on a Sunday. Cause they're in Canada. But I mean, just watch what goes into these things, dudes, from the screens that they are studying from the engineering time in real time to the community and the driver, that dude will be driving 300 clicks and he's over the radio. Oh, Oh, we, we're looking good. 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 And I'm like, I'd be in fucking panic attack. It's cool. That's cool. I, I might search out like a Formula One performance coach and actually have him on the podcast and just kind of talk about that side and then kind of ease me into like everything that goes in. I think that's a personal goal of mine after this is to to, to get a Formula One coach. I think that's what I'll do. Um, and think about it. All their drivers look the same from a physicality yeah. standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, 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 like physically, not like face-wise. Mm-mm. 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 But it's something gotcha. to be said, right? Like, you know right. what it, I know what they want. Right. There's a profile. profile. It's a profile. profile. 100%. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Um, man, this was fun guys. We cover a lot of stuff and, uh, selfishly, man, I learned a lot of stuff here. I had a lot of questions that I wanted to, to get out there, but it was good. Really good. Um, all right, let's see. Tophie's the team builder. Everyone knows that. Who, uh, hopefully, um, the <laughs> initiative. Uh, in addition to your product, you know your education. You, you say a lot on LinkedIn, Nate. That's probably the best place for someone to kind of keep up with you on what you're what you're up to, right? Yeah, LinkedIn and uh, and Instagram are probably the two main platforms that either myself and or the company are putting information yeah. out on. Instagram, the initiative. Got it. Uh, and then Jason, do you want people to get in touch with you or are you fine? You're busy. No, nah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm always open, man. Uh, LinkedIn is a great place to connect with me on. Uh, it is really the only social platform I have. So gotcha. Yeah. You are LinkedIn a lot too. That's good. That's great, man. I'll put some stuff in the show notes here and uh, we'll wrap it up. But man, I hope we do this again. This was a lot of fun. And I think as stuff kind of like comes up news wise in a tactical space, you know, we should catch up like this and, and keep it an ongoing conversation. I think I'd like that, like I said, for my own education and also just to kind of put it out there and hear from the good minds in the space. Yeah. Remote work. This is my social life. I'm all about it. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Right. Let's hop on June. That sounds like a good time. <laughs> all right, guys. Pleasure again. And I'll talk to you guys very soon. All right. Good. Thanks, man. Awesome. See you folks. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.